know, it's about the true experience of the wilderness and, and, and teaching about how to forgive and how to make peace with yourself and how can we connect with nature. Welcome to PageCast, a podcast series brought to you by Jonathan Ball Publishers, aiming to give you the story behind the story. By interviewing the authors responsible for some of your most loved books, we explore the thoughts, ideas, emotions, and creative processes which led to the writing of these books. If you are a reader with a zesty interest in people and stories, do stick around and enjoy what PageCast has to offer. Do you like the African sunset? Do you like listening to the birds in your garden? Do you enjoy swimming in the ocean? Do you love standing on top of the mountain? Well, please listen to today's episode and open your heart and mind and enjoy what the amazing authors behind Black Lion Alive in the Wilderness has to share. I will be chatting to both Bridget Pitt and Sitelo Mabata. Black Lion begins in rural South Africa where it deeply traumatic childhood experience should have turned Sitelo against the surrounding wilderness. Instead, he was irresistibly drawn to it. As a volunteer at Imfalozi Nature Reserve, close encounters with buffalo, lion, elephant and other animals taught him to see with his heart and thus began a spiritual awakening. PageCast is beyond fortunate to have both these amazing authors in studio today. I will be asking them some hot seat questions and get to know the weird and wonderful adventures they had while writing Black Line. Thank you so much for joining me today and let's jump in. Where did your interest in the wilderness begin? I grew up strange. I... I won't say I was strange, but then like any young, you know, boy from rural areas, you seem to run around in the streams and stuff like that. You climb the mountains and you play in the, in the river. So for me, that was actually the first contact with nature. And and when I grew up, I did not want to be to be to working in the city. I wanted to be in the bush working, saving the animals. Uh, it began when I was very small. I've, I've always been drawn to it. My dad used to take us to the Drakensberg and I, I think the first year I went, I was four years old. Um, and when, I, when we lived in Johannesburg, I used to, I was very stirred by that landscape. And in, you know, in Johannesburg, you get these big sort of heavy cumulus clouds that come sit on the horizon. And I used to pretend that were mountains. <laughs> and everything in my garden became mountains. We had a rockery, and I kind of shrank myself to one inch high so that the rockery could be the mountains. And I just, yeah, I just was so drawn to that. I, I couldn't believe when I came to Cape Town there was actually a mountain in the city. It was like, <laughs> that's just all my fantasies. Come true, but I, I've always felt that I used to talk to beetles. I used to spend hours just looking at ants, watching what they were doing, and um, it's just I, I used to go insane if I found other kids like torturing a lizard or mm. um, being cruel to anything. 
Where does the wilderness name Black Line come from? <laughs> it, um, I had this scenario. I was leading a trade with a group of people. So I saw this lion. It was quite, it was like 100 meters away from us. And um, I said to the people, well, let's go closer. And then we went closer. And, and, and then the lion was still lying on the sand. And, and I said, well, let's go and have a look, you know, look, look at his paw. And by the time we walk, then the lion drifted away and moved away. But then we saw only one lion. There were two lions there. And, and we just thought there's only one lion. So when we walked there, we found this beautiful male lion that was fast asleep. And, and then it somehow it, it, it caught our scent. And then it kind of like wanting to, 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 to jump. But then I think it was too lazy, and there was a lot of flies buzzing above him, and I thought maybe no, this is this is dead, and then smelling, and then I looked through the nose, and then it was breathing, and and then it jumped towards us, and then I kind of like talked to him and saying, step away, my brother, I'm not here to hurt you, please give us a space, we will give you a space, and then the people at that time said, well, your name is Black Lion. It looked like you were talking to your brother during, the, during this the, the incident. So if you had two minutes in an elevator, not even a minute in an elevator, to tell someone what this book is about. Uh, the elevator pitch. Um, <laughs> okay, I would say it's, it's about one person's life, but it's also really about how you can connect with nature and why you need to um, through through the life and experience of, of someone who's who's lived so closely to the principle of that nature is, is essential for us. What was the most exciting part of writing this book? Was to escape from the depression of COVID-19 using the book as a, as a medicine from that uh, running away from the reality and producing something that can be useful to people uh, was was very good. was a was a good retreat for my soul. Yeah. I think the most exciting part was just seeing how his what was in his head, which I'd you know I'd experienced through being on trail with him and through having discussions with him and so on, and. It's 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 huge and it's wide ranging. It's like a, you know, it's it's like a massive country. <laughs> and, you know, how do you put that in a book? But somehow seeing how that that somehow did come into a book, um, in a, in I think in a, in an authentic way. Of course, can't tell the whole story. Mm. Um, but it it just tells enough of the story for you to get a, a kind of good picture of what's there. And for me, that was really exciting. And then also with everything good comes a bit of bad. What yes. was the most challenging? Well, the most challenging thing was to educate my people that the book that is I'm writing may change the world and how people have been looking at the native wisdom, how people have been looking at conservation with the eyes of being educated, you know. So that was the most challenging thing was to educate people that the book can, can, can be the remedy of someone who is experiencing trauma 
and the book I'm producing can be the the tool that allow people to go into the wilderness and discover themselves. You know, that was the most challenging things was to educate the people. I think now you're just again being that, that bridge between actually giving people don't necessarily share the same background as you, educating them and making us all realize that there is something that we all have in common and that's that that's that wilderness that's actually makes us feel alive. That's, that's very true. We In the wilderness, I, I've seen people sometimes I would take um, the corporate groups in, into, into the wilderness and you find this guy is the president of this company and these guys are in the management so these guys are lower down there. And, and, and you take them and you put them into the wilderness, they all equal. They, they all equal and you find the CEO washing the pots and, and the guy that is working in the office is cooking and others are cooking. It's, it's all about this unity of harmony where everything is equal without being monitored by the pyramid of our society where we come from, who's on top, who's below, you know, we're coming from that kind of background. And in the, in the wilderness, it kind of like put us back where everything is equal. <laughs> um, when and where, seeing that you're an environmentalist, where, when and where did your interest in the wilderness begin? Uh, it began when I was very small. I've, I've always been drawn to it. My dad used to take us to the Drakensberg, and I, I think the first year I went, I was four years old. Um, and when I, when we lived in Johannesburg, I used to, I was very stirred by that landscape. And in you know Johannesburg, you get these big sort of heavy cumulus clouds that kind of sit on the horizon. And I used to pretend that mountains. <laughs> and everything in my garden became mountains. We had a rockery, and I kind of shrank myself to one inch high so that the rockery could be the mountains. And I just, yeah, I just was so drawn to that. And I, I, I couldn't believe when I came to Cape Town there was actually a mountain in the city. It was like, <laughs> that's just all my fantasies come true. But I, I've always felt that. I used to talk to beetles. I used to spend hours just looking at ants, watching what they were doing, and um, it's just, I, I used to go insane if I found other kids like torturing a lizard or mm. um, being cruel to anything. If we're young, then we're so pure, then nature, we're almost as pure as nature, so that's mm. when you should harness that. That's true. What lessons have you learned over the years spending time in nature, but especially when you go on trails? I think, wow, wow, there's so many. Um, I think that that stepping back is such an important one. Um, you know, that relinquishing of control, or the illusion of control, because really it is an illusion, actually. <laughs> we're, not, we're not in control. We're very small things in a very big universe. <laughs> just quickly bringing us back to to earth and grounding us we are not in control yeah and i think another big thing has been the understanding of uh, there's a lovely word that i've come across in in donna haraway and people like that um the word precarity which is the state of precariousness and we humans as humans we're terrified of it and of course you know that has got origins in, in wanting to be safe 
But our need for safety has walled us off from nature. And it's destroyed nature, you know, because we, we always want the security of not having just enough to eat today, but enough to eat for the next 20 years, and enough to eat for 50 people and not just one. So we like store it up, you know, and we have to have electricity and we have to have, have lungs and all these things. So ironically, our need for safety is actually destroying our only home um, mm-hmm. with global warming and with pollution. And so I think for me that that big lesson is, is understanding that we are we are precarious, we are vulnerable. Mm-hmm. You know, live with that. And I, in fact, our only my daughter when she was little had an imaginary friend, and well, she had an imaginary brother. And she said to me once, age three, she said. There are two kinds of ways to keep safe. You can have a gun or you can have a brother. And to me, that's just sat with me because that those are the two modes. You can defend yourself in your bunker or you can recognize that we're all in this together. Animals and humans, we all share this planet, mm-hmm. uh, plants. You know, and we need to just work together and be together and recognize the worthiness of other species and of other humans mm. and, and let go of the hierarchy and let go of the hierarchy let go of the gun yeah. yeah the biggest thing that I always say is we don't have to try hard to control things we don't have to try hard to 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 put things in order because nature has its own way to to control itself and um, that's what I have learned, that um, if you have come into the wilderness with a schedule, it will be con- completely disturbed, it will be completely destroyed. Let's move away from controlling things too much. And, 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 and by moving away from controlling our life too much, we get a time to, to reflect more. Because if you've got a busy schedule, you don't get time for, to dialogue with yourself. So let's, let's not control too much. Who will enjoy your book? Ooh, the, the book is good for a, a, a young woman who's, is, who's coming out of stage because it teaches about how you find the direction of life. Uh, and a sick person that is knowing that is about to die and, and how you can be guided you through finding the light, you know, how you how you prepare yourself to go towards unknown, to cross this threshold. A young men and the corporate groups, you know, like the CEO of the company can easily embrace the book because it talks about sharing and caring and respect. So I think I think it touches it touches the hearts of everyone on and every ages as well. I think pretty much everyone. <laughs> um, look, obviously, if you're big, even if you're a big hunter, you might enjoy it, although it might not sit all together well. Uh, I think it's 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 a very accessible book. It's it it kind of functions on so many levels. So it, it has the whole nature thing, obviously, very strongly. But it's also his life, um, which was a tough life, a very tough life. And it doesn't shy away from the hard social mm. sort of issues that we confront in South Africa at all. Um, it's got his kind of cultural grounding, so I think anybody who's remotely interested in, in indigenous cultural grounding 
Um, and it's told from an insider's perspective, you know, not from a, a kind of outsider viewpoint. So I think it's 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 a really it, it's just a really important book for people to read. I think it's just and and the way people have responded to it so far and respond to him, you can see that it's touching something that is that is people are hungry for actually. And then, do you have any books or projects in the pipeline? Zakula and I are actually discussing writing a, a novel together. Hmm. Um, I don't know how it's going to work. I just put, floated a post him, and he's he's grabbed hold of it and is running with it. I'm not sure where it's running so far. But we're going to sit down and look at that. Yeah, but it's basically looking at looking at Rhino, the whole issue of Rhino poaching, but but why, you know, just just how, how it came to be that this mm. could happen. So I was really looking at the kind of context of his home and okay. what's going on there. So we'll see where that goes. Uh, <laughs> uh, I work again with uh, Bridget and there's this novel coming up. I'm very excited. It's, it's a very new journey again. It's very uh, again. It touches the touches the wilderness and and the destruction and the catastrophe that this gentleman is facing to save the world. But it's coming through. It will come through definitely. Yes, that sounds good <laughs> to me. Um, what inspired you to to go on this adventure with him? It was just being with him. It was being with him. It was it was that sense from that very first um, encounter that I had with him. It was the way that he was present in nature, and I just felt, I, I you know, I mean, look, I, I work a lot in in environmental stuff. I've written quite a bit about it. Um, a very strong sort of chord for me is 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 that thing of of experiencing. And connection, you know that. that I think that is the, the source of the malaise in the world, it's social and environmental. That we've lost that connection, uh, largely. And you know, he just kind of created a, a, a space of of refining that in such a profound way. And I just thought the world really needs to experience this. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of PageCast. We have an incredible lineup of author interviews, so head over to our Facebook and Instagram and follow Jonathan Ball Publishers to stay updated and in the know regarding future episodes. Thanks for your interest in the story behind the story. Happy reading from everyone at PageCast. PageCast.